Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One and we are recording with the champion, Dr. Peter McCullough, the man who got me permanently banned from YouTube, and uh, and and John Leak, his co author. And as Dr. McCullough and I were just talking about, a lot of people don't know about the concussion. It was actually a uh, it was a YouTube operative out in the field. Uh, jokes on them, I was with my Delta Force security detail. So they only got by with the passing a blow to the head, but uh, the misinformation machine will carry on. Dr. McCullough, please introduce yourself as well as Mr. Leak. Tommy, we're glad you're conscious. And I can tell you, I think you may not meet all of your neurologic checks today on the program, but we're glad that you defeated the YouTube censorship operative as he accosted you near a window well somewhere out in rural New Hampshire. Down here in Dallas, I'm with John Leak. Uh, he is a best-selling author and we have a new book. It's called uh, Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. It's ranked number one in viral diseases, communicable diseases, and true crime in Amazon right now. Beautiful. As always, I will put the book in the description. Mr. Leek, please introduce yourself. Um, I'm a tr true, true crime author. I've written a couple of conventional true crime books about killers and missing person mysteries. And this is my first book about organized crime um, and grew up in Dallas, kind of wandered all over the world for about 20 years, was back in Dallas at the beginning of 2020 when SARS-CoV-2 arrived. And I quickly perceived the policy response, the mainstream media representations didn't sound very plausible to me. I began to think that maybe we had something like a true crime unfolding, you know, before our very eyes. <clears throat> I knew I needed a real medical authority to help me to go through all of this and figure out what the hell was going on. And by what I think is the most charming coincidence in this, I thought, you know, where am I going to find a guy who not only has supremo medical authority, but who's questioning the orthodoxy. I mean, it remember, it had to be both. Yeah. So, you know, I was, where do I go? Where do I find this guy? And turns out Dr. McCullough lives two miles from my home. <laughs> so I, I contacted him and we got together and started talking and then we wrote a book. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I feel like Dallas is, uh, Dallas is kind of the home of, 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 of true crime and organized crime all the way back to, to 63. Um, Dr. McCullough? Well, it's really been a pleasure. It chronicles the book, Courage to Face COVID-19. It's available through our website, couragetofacecovid.com. You can also click on Amazon and get there. We'll open up other distributor uh, networks in the next, uh, next few weeks. But the book is written, it's the only book so far, A, written by a bestseller, John Leake. I've done the medical portions of it and obviously the uh, biographical portions. Uh, but it's the only book in the whole COVID space right now that's written as a narrative with a timeline. And what John has taught me is that despite all the data, Tommy, that we've presented on your show and many others, uh, you know, data just in many people just goes over their heads. It's just it can't be put in context. It's not very interpretable. What the human mind really needs to interpret complex realities is a narrative. It needs a story. And that's what this is. This is the story. Uh, about how the viral pandemic started to play out in my professional career, how I responded. Uh, other doctors in my circles, we go overseas to pick up part of the story going on in France. Uh, there's a lot of historical connections, and you would love that as someone who's such a great uh, uh, student of American and contemporary history. And uh, it does involve patients, and it involves what's happened to them. John has meticulously interviewed so many of the people, everything is factual, everything is cited. And uh, as I mentioned, it's really kind of rocking the literary world right now. It comes on the heels of 
The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy. And, uh, and as you know, uh, that book is really centered on the role that Fauci has played, in a sense, in this giant crime uh, that is currently taking place. Ours uh, approaches it from uh, the physician innovation perspective, how the physicians, in a sense, have become now uh, uh, victims or defendants in, uh, in a form of organized crime, and then most sadly, uh, the patients. Could, uh, could you maybe expand on that last sentence? Uh, the, you have to excuse me. I know my nose is really stuffy on, uh, on the doctors or the physicians being the victims. Yeah, I'll let John pick up on that. He's really put a lot of effort. Well, well, I mean, what we see is is that any doctor who is trying to challenge the prevailing orthodoxy that has emanated from the public health agencies um, has been persecuted. And, it, you know, we we start off by examining this whole business of treating the illness. And when we say treatment, we're not talking about some silver bullet thing like penicillin against against staphylococcus, you know, that just you feel better, you know, instantly almost. It's it's a, a, a um, combination of supplements and repurposed drugs that are sufficient to keep the person from really taking a, a bad turn for the worse and landing in hospital. So Dr. McCullough and his colleagues, their objective was to prevent hospitalization, and, you know, so it, that that's, can be a fractional thing. It's just enough to get someone through the illness without having to go to the ER. And what we have observed and documented is that, you know, no sooner would there be some treatment modalities that were proposed with pretty solid observational data, even, even clinical trial data, and they were immediately shot down and dismissed and maligned and ridiculed. So that's where my interpretive framework is is a true crime author was sort of alerted that this just doesn't make sense. But as the reader will see, if he'll pick up our book, I mean, it starts off as a sort of, well, you know, we have to follow, these are hospital administrators, we have to follow the guidelines. And, but then as you, as this thing unfolds, it, it becomes more and more just scarcely veiled threats to doctors, like threats to their medical licenses, pharmacy boards not filling their prescriptions, um, you know, all, all, all the way up to Dr. McCullough's um, personal struggle with, with his institution that shall not be named. Um, so we, we talk about this persecution of doctors who are fulfilling their Hippocratic oath to help their patients to the best of their ability and judgment. Now, are we going to see, and I bring this up all the time, what, <clears throat> if any, repercussions will we see? Because it, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm 31, but in my short life, there's been, you know, really, there's been two things where they kind of just got away. It was WMD is going to Iraq. We all uh, wring our hands. And the OA financial crisis, no one went to jail. And maybe the Snowden leaks about uh, domestic surveillance under the NSA, which is only allowed to operate internationally. In my short life, and I hate it because I'm such a, a positive, optimistic person, it does seem like once you hit a certain level on, a, on like a logarithmic scale, it's, it's, it's scale dependent. Once you get to a certain size, they just kind of get away with it. Yeah, I, I say, you know, in this country, if you steal a used F-150 pickup from the, you know, the 7-Eleven parking lot, you go to jail for seven years. You know, if you invade a foreign country under false pretenses and get, you know, X number of thousand people killed and maimed and their brains blown to smithereens, then, then it's just kind of like, well, you know, it's so big, it's so vast, it's so complex and difficult to delineate responsibility that just kind of, it's like, well, sorry, you know, we screwed up. Yeah. So yeah, I, so, I yeah. agree with you. I mean, the financial crisis also, it does not bode well for justice. If, if it, the too big to fail, it's, you know, on the contrary, it's, it's failing up. Because okay. you'll notice, you'll notice the beneficiaries of all the bailout funds were precisely the institutional 
leaders who um, assumed uh, a, a dangerous risk levels and, and leverage levels and, and um, fraudulent mortgage-backed securities. I mean, the very people that created the crisis ended up receiving the bailout funds. So a very bad lesson was learned from the financial crisis, which we believe was was applied to this crisis. It's the same playbook. Sure. Dr. McCullough? Yeah, I think right now, my view of things, and I'm currently under litigation myself, is that the courts are corrupt. The government agencies are corrupt. The major media is corrupt. Uh, major health systems. This is what we call the biopharmaceutical complex. Now, everything is in a free fall of corruption. The only court that's open, Tommy, is the court of public opinion. And that's the reason why your journalism and that of Joe Rogan and other great podcasters like you guys um, are so important because it's only, the only thing that matters is public opinion and the public waking up with their sense of common sense and decency and what's right and wrong for them to understand what's going on. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. And I would say one other thing. The crime is not yet complete. I okay. mean, the act is not yet complete. And, and you know, I, I came out full on this in my breakout Tucker Carlson interview in May of 2021. And Tucker started to get worked up. I said, Tucker, I said, it's clear. There has been an active and intentional suppression of early treatment. Anything that we could do to help people with COVID-19, avoid hospitalization and death. And that suppression was intentional, in my view, in order to promote fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death to prepare the population to accept mass vaccination at all costs. A needle in every arm is the most important moniker we've probably ever heard in our lifetimes. Yeah. Mr. Leak. Why? I, I absolutely concur with Dr. McCullough's assessment of this. Um, and I, I mean, of course, we've been exchanging notes, but um, I mean, I began to look at this months before I contacted him. And so I believe I independently, I mean, he was looking, doing deep dives into medical data. I was just putting, you know, plotting timelines, looking at, at public utterances by our public health guys and kind of plotting this thing out, you know, as, as an investigator would of any other crime. And I, what we see is a desire actually to maximize the crisis. Yeah. Um, not to diffuse it, not to find ways to kind of take the fangs out of it, but, but to make it as formidable and frightening as possible because you know, you start talking about the CARES Act of March 26, 2020. I mean, it's a big crisis. So big, you know, big crisis requires big money. And, you know, about 10% of the U.S. GDP was created overnight for the CARES Act. So if you were positioned to be the recipient of these funds, it was, it was a real bonanza. And it also... It, this is the bigger ambition. It furthered this globalist agenda that we've all been talking about. We sort of suspected that this thing looks like a big empire building scheme. There are these institutions, guys that hang out in Switzerland, the, the World Economic Forum, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is doing a lot with the World Economic Forum, the WHO in Geneva. They seem to aspire, I shouldn't say seem, they do aspire to create a global governance with these different policies. The two most notable ones that they're very, very keen on is emerging infectious disease pandemics, and their, their interest is exclusively in, in a monolithic fashion. Their solution is rapid development and deployment of vaccination. They're, they're vaccine uh, enthusiasts. 
And then their other, their other obsession is, is climate change. And in both instances, whether it be you need to get this vaccine or your, your ability to move and to participate in commerce and social life is restricted, or this carbon uh, reduction, or you're, you're, you're mandated to, to use certain products, or there's tax reductions for certain products and so forth. This is a global ambition to regulate mankind's activities all over the globe in a uniform way. So whereas global warming, it's, it's sort of scary and there's talk of Miami being underwater in 50 years or whatever, that's frightening, but it's not, it doesn't have the immediacy of saying a contagion is headed your yeah. way, it's going to kill you and your family. Um, if you don't listen to us, if you don't, if you don't adhere to the measures that we prescribe, then boy, Mr. Prime Minister, or Mr. President, you're going to have a lot of dead people in overflowing hospitals. So that that creates this lockstep of the heads of states across the globe. Yeah, and it's uh, I mean, as always for tyrants, it's it's the most perfect weapon, right? You always go for your own health. No one ever, you can never just come out and say, hey, we're invading Poland and we're going to kill all the Jews. Like, no, you, you got to go, hey, we need living room. We got to we gotta grow for like the motherland. You, you can never come out and say what the real intent is. So if you're going to come out and say it's so that we don't kill grandma, well, then if you oppose it, you want to kill grandma, which is why Dr. McCullough got me banned from YouTube because apparently we, we just want to kill grandma. But take her out, man. Don't <laughs> worry about her. Just take her out. Um, no, but, but this is what we've discovered. I mean, um, you know, historically, in, empire builders were, were military commanders. I mean, you think of these great commanders in history like Alexander or huh? Julius Caesar, or Genghis Khan or Trajan or Napoleon. And, it, you know, it's OK, I'm I'm I am going to not only rule the Italian peninsula or Mongolia or or France, I'm going to dominate the entire known world and I'm going to impose my imperium on the entire. Well, these are military guys. But what we've discovered now is that the military kinetic warfare is inefficient. It's messy. It just gets it's, you all it's yesteryear. Of- it's it's infectious disease pandemics and we have the solution yeah yeah that's the mojo yeah dr mccullough uh what are your what are your thoughts on that because when i look at it as like a a money grab there are quicker ways to get money grabs right it's start a war or the uss maine lusitania world war one world war two korea vietnam i mean we've they've got that machine well oiled hey you blow this up the terrorists did it you go and cash in the military industrial complex this seems like too much effort for the same the same like i do like two podcast episodes a day but if i like traveled to like the himalayas or something and went to the top of a mountain and did an episode it wouldn't just it, it wouldn't make sense they'd be like oh well he's just doing another podcast they'd be like no he's done 800 from his bedroom there's something else that's not adding up here so in terms of like a money grab Sure, on one hand, it makes a lot of sense. They're, they're printing money, literally. But I'm, I'm with you, Mr. Leak. It doesn't seem like it's just a money grab. This seems like they're moving the chess pieces in a on sort of a global chessboard sort of way. Well, I'd like to address money real quick. Um, sure. Just quiet it's on my mind. There, there are two things that you need to think about. First of all, you have to stop and think about who's in the business. So Pfizer and Moderna... and they're already in business. These guys studied life sciences. They've made huge investments in their company. So you have to look at this as, as an optimization thing. And it, no, it's a bonanza. I mean, what, what Pfizer has made on this vaccine, no liability, no marketing. The U.S. government and other governments largely footed the R&D and development costs. It's an absolute bonanza. So no, they went for it and it's a big money deal. Sure. Um, but the other thing that I think is important, and we go into this in our book, is that guys who study life sciences, 
there's an army of them. I mean, Dr. McCullough has to deal with these people they, all, all the time. They're censoring him. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And he, he figures out, okay, where is this this censorship thing or fact checker coming from and it's some grad student in singapore or in in hanover germany or something who works in the pharmacology department so it's like an army of people out there who studied who went to school but they're not making that much money so it's an easily recruitable uh, army of workers of soldiers because it's like we studied life sciences and we're not getting rich. And this guy, the Gates Foundation, is going to come in with some grant money. And suddenly we're making real money if we participate in this. So it's a, it's a Pied Piper of life science professionals. Yeah. I mean, Does that I- make sense? I have a biology degree and got into medical and pharmacy school. I'm doing the podcast, obviously. If I wasn't doing this shit, I'd probably be trying to get a paycheck from from Billy Boy. I'd probably be doing the same thing. <laughs> Dr. Mc, Dr. McCullough, your thoughts on all of this? Tommy, I hope not. You know, I think a lot of this <laughs> has to do with, with what, what's right and what's wrong. Absolutely. Uh, we think we're in the midst of witnessing the crime of the century. So does Robert F. Kennedy agrees. Pam uh, Papa agrees. So many uh, contemporary authors agree now. So many people in the media agree that we deal with. You can tell the sentiment, the center of the media is changing. I go on so many different stations, so many different platforms as a frequent commentator. You can see how things are changing. I think there is something bigger and it's all been telegraphed uh, to us. I think Peter Bregan is right. Everything is in the open. Don't look for any secret memos. When Klaus Schwab, who runs the World Economic Forum, one of the most powerful financial institutions in the world, said that COVID-19 is the opportunity for the Great Reset. He Mm -hmm. meant it. When President Biden said that COVID-19 is an opportunity for a new world order, he meant it. This, what we're seeing is the most rapidly aggressive uh, 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 advancement of the globalist agenda that we could ever have imagined. The globalist agenda was, it had been slowly advancing over time. Then it had some pullbacks. Uh, One of them was actually Brexit uh, from, uh, Uh you know, that was a, a little pullback. Uh, And then uh, former President Trump, he was a bit of a pullback. Now, the context of the pandemic, not only is it giant money grabbing, and there are people profiting and institutions profiting greatly, but a bigger agenda is being executed. And, you know, when you watch the proceedings and the meetings out of Davos, and uh, also the WHO, and you start to actually see physically uh, what these characters look like, uh, Schwab oh, yeah, yeah. and Gates and Borla and Benzel, and, and you actually listen to their accents. It's almost like we're watching, uh, you know, a James Bond movie or an Avengers movie or Mission Impossible. They, they, they're almost, they look so villainous. So force as industrial revolution. Yes, as, honestly, as if they aspire to take over the world. And in fact, that's what their words say. It, it's a, uh... Yeah, it's a. Uh, that's one thing that's on a kind of a side note. That's one thing that's always gotten me about Klaus is it's almost too, it's almost too comically evil. Like German eugenicists talking about useless leaders tutored under Henry Kissinger. I don't know, man. It, it's, cut, no, it's, it's. I'm telling you, he's Ernst Blofeld. <laughs> he's, but he, <laughs> but he. It, it does seem almost a little too absurd, though, when he sits there and. And you're right. They they broadcast it. None of it's none of it's out and none of it's hiding. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, uh, you know, what was it? Two thousand or 1999? What was that paper? The project for a new American century. Uh, barring a new Pearl Harbor, the United States will not have a reason to go out and establish an empire across the world in so many words. There is something about the broadcast. That's what Alex Jones always said, is they they lay it all on the table. There's nothing that you have to go searching for. Um, 
if we are in the midst of it, oh, and sorry, and, and the point I want to say is uh, about the pullbacks, Trump, uh, Brexit. It's kind of like when you're going to work and you're like two miles from your house and you realize you don't have your wallet or your phone and you turn around and go get it. You know, even if you're on time, you know, you like you recoup those two miles a little faster just for whatever reason you like florida out of your neighborhood like god god help if there's a girl on a tricycle like you're just gonna blow her apart but like there's something about like you you gotta you gotta make up that lost time there does seem to be a little bit of sloppiness in that it's like brexit uh trump you know they're kind of pulling on the jersey they're really just barreling through at all costs right now. They're getting, I mean, they're getting sloppy. It's Bill Gates going, let's tabletop a monkeypox exercise on, it'll break out on May 15th, 2022. And a year later, there's monkeypox on May 15th, 2022. Like, it, it seems like they're getting sloppy. Or, or this is much worse. Is it not sloppy? Are they just getting cocky because they're, they've, they've won the game? It's checkmate. I mean, it seems like, it seems like there's arrogance involved in this. I mean, to slightly shift the subject, sure. and it's it's controversial, so I promise to be careful. You're fine. Me, we're we're banned from everything. It's fine. Okay, so l- let me just you know put it this way: as a um, uh, starting point for further investigation and discussion. I mean, this kind of festering thing that's been going on between Russia and Ukraine for years, I mean, since 2014, uh-huh. and, and the United States has, has done nothing constructive to try and resolve any of this. I mean, it's it's almost like the more instability, the more festering, the more, you know, resentment and hard feelings that are developing, the better. Yeah. And then it, it really seemed like, you know, no sooner did it look like we, we might be getting some resolution on the COVID pandemic. It's like the next week, Kamala goes to the Munich Security Council and there's this kind of confusing double speak. Well, we really, you know, Ukraine should join NATO and, and just it, it's like. Let's now push on the fault line that's that's been sort of destabilizing for a while. Let's push on it now and get a shooting war going over there instead of doing anything constructive to try and defuse it. So it's true that the Russians invaded Ukraine, but what no one is asking is, you know, what were the steps that kind of ratcheted the whole thing up to that moment? And, and I don't see anyone examining this. So and then so what's the response? Just a wholesale transfer of U.S. American money to the to the Ukraine. It's it's it doesn't even really seem to be an attempt to conceal that just vast sums are being transferred to Kiev. Who's doing the accounting? Yeah. So it's it's this crisis. This 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 cri- the way a crisis induces vast amounts of money to be created and transferred to particular parties that is is concerning and, and should be examined very carefully. It uh yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, we donate forty billion amongst other nations, but you know, we donate forty billion dollars a year to uh to Israel, to the IDF, the Mossad. Um, unit eighty two hundred, but that's just kind of one of our allies. I mean, we did forty billion in, in a pen stroke with Ukraine. Right. It's, I don't think it's ever been more evident or self apparent that it's just laundering. It looks that way, and particularly if you examine the evaluations of the Ukrainian government, the oligarch who has really been the patron of Zelensky. So, uh, He's persona non grata in the United States. Got a thirty-four million dollar condo in Miami. Don't look into it. His buddy Kolomoisky is a billionaire. Hey, don't worry about it. Don't look right. Don't worry your pretty little head. And Kolomoisky's persona non grata in the United States. He's suspected of contract murder. So, I mean, you do begin to wonder. Well, maybe it's just arrogance because at least a fairly large stratum of the american people always seems to fall for this bs yeah so 
Dr. McCall, we've been boxing you out. Do you want to pop in here? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, this is far away from my competency on kind of geopolitical instability and and graft and corruption, corruption at a political level. But I do have to say that the biopharmaceutical complex that I feel like I've been battling clearly, Tommy, is global. Yeah. And it's clearly international. And it can't just be Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson, Johnson, AstraZeneca. You know, 16 vaccines worldwide uh, in development or fully deployed. You know, a frequently used one is Sinovac, Coronavac. Nobody sh- shined a light on that right now. That's a killed virus vaccine. Uh, people are, you know, under duress in Asia. Elsewhere is used in South America. People can't get money out of ATM machines and in, in Chile, if they don't, if they haven't taken one of these, uh, you know, killed virus vaccines, there seems to be toxicity with all the vaccines now. The antigen-based vaccines, which would be uh, the Corbivac vaccine out of uh, Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, the uh, Novavax. Uh, there's recently a plant-based vaccine that was in the New England Journal of Medicine on Canada. Then a Chinese antigen-based vaccines. Those are all moving forward. They, uh, in general, I think probably are a little less toxic with a little less long-term concerns over safety, but uh, less effective. And then, of course, we have the genetic vaccines that we've been battling uh, with. And I think one of the most difficult things uh, to wrap my head around is how the pre-baked assumption that Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson were both safe and effective from the very beginning with no changes in formulation, no changes in dosing, no, they were they were out of the box, safe and effective, and that they are assumed to basically be the the cure for the pandemic problem. And the only issue at hand is to get a needle in every arm. It's kind of like uh, it's like when time travelers, you know, the the trope is always like don't mess don't mess with the timeline too much. You know, from the you know you kind of make broad generalizations. Don't say who's going to win the World Series, but say it's going to go it's going to go to seven or something. Or it's like uh, if you're watching like a movie or something with a friend that haven't seen, and they're like, well, I got to go to the bathroom. And you're like, well, no, no, just hold, just hold on a second. It's like, all right, well, now I know someone's about. You know, it's like The Departed. It's like now I know Leo's about to get iced. There's something a little hairy about that from the get-go they're like oh it's just safe and effective it's this is the one this is the one don't look into it safe and effective it's like this is you're disturbing the timeline you're like no no no, just take this one take it you got to get into your arm 18 months tommy it's not just that it's not just safe and effective but it's safe and effective for the rest of your life it has no long-term concerns whatsoever it's a genetic installation but don't be concerned about it it's safe forever it's it's again it's it will not like the articles again it almost seems like a time traveling article they're like no it does not affect your dna and it's like like six months to the date it's like well actually we put it in the liver cell in this uh you know in vitro study and it turns out i don't know how to say this it actually does actually it does manipulate your dna and it's like i don't it's going back to 2000 and being like again you're the time traveling like nfl agent you're just like Boy, that Tom Brady sure looks like he sucks. I would not pick him up if I were you guys. And you're looking at you're looking at your GM, you're like Simon. You're like that guy blows. I don't. It, that's what it kind of seems like. It's so. I don't know, Mr. Leak. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, what you see with this, this straight out of the gate, you know, absolute categorical assurance: the vaccines are great, uh, will solve mankind's problems. It's it. It's the exact opposite of what we saw with these repurposed drugs like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, which had actually been around with vast use on human populations with well-established safety protocols. In that instance, there was this massive skepticism and safety (laughs) concerns being invoked. And it's like safety concerns. I mean, Hundreds of millions of people have taken and tolerated these medications for decades. Like, what are you talking about? And then we get to the vaccine. It's a brand new, it's a novel technology. No vaccines in history use, I'm speaking of the messenger RNA vaccine platform. It's it's a gene transfer technology that hasn't been tested on much less used widely on a human population. And, And it's, 
Now the assurance, you know, categorically from the outset is nothing to worry about. We have no questions or concerns at all about safety. So it's just turned on its head completely. Yeah, that that kind of is like a like a like a double insanity. It's not just blind trust in the new thing. It's have zero trust in that which you know with your own eyes and ears works. It's correct. It's or, it's, or Tommy, Tommy, I would say this: even even if hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were just modestly effective, sure, uh, or marginally effective, uh, this idea that they could not be used with their safety profile. You think, listen, this is, you know, this is a, a mass casualty event. Uh, people are going down, you know, give it your best shot. Uh, the analogy used is, uh, you know, someone has fallen over the, 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 the side rails of a ship and uh, they're drowning at sea and you're going to, you know, throw a, a, a life preserver out to them, a life ring. And uh, you say, well, I'm not sure if this is going to work. Proof There's not life, enough right. randomized trials. We don't have the NIH endorsement for this. I'm just not going to give it a try. It just He's going to just, sorry. Sorry, yeah, This idea of uh, what we call the precautionary principle, you know, trying what we do, at least on a small number of people to, to you know, to try to take the precaution. We got to take the precaution to save lives. That was the operating principle that I uh, took in my practice and doctors in my circles. The shocking thing to me is why other doctors weren't worth with, with me the doctors i'd worked with my whole career that you know we had you know we had taken on different issues and met and we'd been through controversies before suddenly they weren't with me uh and there was dead silence on any type of proposal to treat SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 dead silence and then we, we started waiting. They said, well, well, Harvard must take the lead. They, they must have an outpatient clinic. They must be innovating. Nothing from Harvard. How about Mayo Clinic? Nothing there. How about Duke University? You know, our blue ribbon universities to this day still haven't opened up outpatient COVID treatment centers. They haven't had individual protocols. They haven't advanced the science of how to keep people out of the hospital and get through the illness. They actually haven't innovated, Tommy, on inpatient care. You'd think at this point in time, inpatient care would be very complex. Uh, they, would, they would attack this, that the US News and World Report would have rankings uh -huh. of the best COVID hospitals in, in each city because the reimbursement is so rich, Tommy, that, that they would uh, you know, be competing for COVID patients. Here, send them here, we're the best, we'll get your loved one through COVID. Instead, there's, there's just a, a complete lack of bravado, uh, almost a shame about their care of patients with COVID-19. I think uh, concerning what you said about other doctors not standing up, I think the sad reality is, is a lot of us, uh, you know, everybody, Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. I think we've all, you know, wondered how did World War II happen? How did the Nazis come to power? What would I be like in that time? And I think we got a really uh, sobering and disappointing trial where he realized the vast majority of people, you know, would have uh, told you to put the star David on and shut up, get in the camp. We saw a lot of that in terms of what you said about the early treatment of the life saving, the lifesaver to the overboard guy. I always think about the end of World War II and how we were trying everything. I mean, Leo Szilard came over from Germany and had this crazy idea. It's like, hey, if you take this radioactive thing and then compress it, it's going to blow up a whole city. And FDR was like, sure, let's write a $2 billion check. I mean, you want to talk about printing money, $2 billion in 1940. We'll call it the Manhattan Project. Go for it. Simultaneously, they had a plan where uh, one of the guys from the early, not, not DARPA, but uh, from the DOD was uh, out like hiking one day during the war, obviously domestically, and was just looking at how bats were like sleeping under like the caverns. And he thought, well, Japan is all the uh, Tokyo, all the all the buildings are primarily wood. And he had this idea. Well, what if we had bats? This is real. And we strung little like packets, maybe like sweetener sized packets of uh, of what would become to be known as napalm. And they would have like timed incendiaries on them. What they're going to do is they're going to dump them out of the back of cargo jets, millions of them at a time. And they were going to flood down into Tokyo. And all the bats would go find a place to nap. And then once it got to a night, you just light them and burn the whole city down. Now, they tried that, 
It failed terribly. And the only thing that happened was the bats actually burned down an Air Force building. But also at the same time, the nuclear bomb worked. So they said, hey, put that crazy kind of like, you know, you're smoking crack bad idea. Put that aside. We'll, we just want to talk about that. We'll use the A-bomb. And that's the history we know. But the point of the point of that story is, is that was total war. You throw everything at it. And one of them worked and they hid the bat thing. They're like, just don't tell anybody about that because the A-bomb worked. This to me is. Now, if you were at the higher ups, if you're talking to General Leslie Groves or uh, Professor Oppenheimer and you're like, hey, I've got this idea for bats. And they're like, no, 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 no. Shut up. Shut up. We're only going to do this. You'd be like, aren't we going to try to save the GIs? I thought we were doing everything we could. They'd be like, that's not safe and effective. That's that's what first sort of got the hair standing up on my neck in 2020, 2021, where I was like, if this is truly the end of the world. It's COVID. If you look at someone wrong, their head's going to burst and fire. You're going to kill everyone you know. You're going to kill every grandma in America. And then you're like, well, maybe we should try hydroxychloroquine. And they're like, no, 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 that's not safe. What are we, what are we doing? I mean, if you have a parachute and you're on the 110th floor of the World Trade Center, you're going, dude, I'm jumping and pulling this thing. And someone's going to go, hey, you know, it might not open on time. Like, no, the building's on fire. Like, you're going to try something. So sorry for that little side rant, but that's kind of my thoughts on well this is something this is something that we that we work through in our in our book i mean the the general nature of an emergency um you know you you are looking for ways to respond if you're presented with an emergency if anyone is presented with an emergency the instinctive response is, is to try and do something with what you have at hand um and i mean this has to you know have be in some way constrained by prudence. I mean, you know, sure. completely insane things, you know. Um, but the point of these repurposed drugs is there was actually quite a bit of observational data. There were studies done in vitro going back on SARS-CoV-1 indicating that these combinations of repurposed drugs actually do help. And we devote an entire chapter to the most cited microbiologist in Europe, a guy named Professor Didier Raoul at the uh -huh. University at, at, at Marseille, who um, has a long history and experience of drug repurposing. And he's had a lot of success repurposing hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, for example, for the Zika virus and, and some other pathogens in which he's had success with repurposing these agents. So it wasn't a far-fetched yeah. proposition at all. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't bats. It was someone going, hey, I don't know what this A-bomb is thing, but maybe if we went and invaded the mainland, yeah, we're going to lose a lot of guys, but that will still work too. It wasn't absurd at all. No. Tommy, I would add to that that, you know, to support what happened, uh, this, the, the research on hydroxychloroquine continued even after the FDA says do not use hydroxychloroquine in the summer of 2020. You know, over 300 studies, uh, the effect size settled in about a 25% benefit. Uh, there are several dozen countries where official government guidelines are to use hydroxychloroquine. Ivermectin uh, came on in the second year, over 85 supportive studies, over 35 supportive randomized trials, a broader spectrum, inpatient and outpatient use with ivermectin. And again, a couple dozen countries, you know, formally recommend using this early. Um, I can tell you, there is no such uh, enthusiasm for lopinavir. Lopinavir was an HIV drug tried. It was tried in clinical trials. It didn't work out. I mean, when things didn't work out in SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, we dropped them. Yeah. But the things that work, we continued with. And so, uh, you know, this idea that at some point in time, the narrative was going to try to kill early treatment in order to prepare the population for mass vaccination, that's really the, the crime we're talking about. In our book, and again, the title, if someone's just dropping in on this, is Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Death while battling the biopharmaceutical complex. And for anybody hopping in, obviously, I will put that in the description, as always. Um, one question I have is, 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 you said the, well, for one, it's the crime of the century, but two, that the crime is not completed yet. So 
So if, if you and I are in the in the back office at a jewelry store and you're going, this is the robbery of a century. I'm going, oh my God, you're going to get this. They're still in the store. What immediately I would go, okay, we could arrest them or game theory. Do we try to bring them all down and catch them all? Do they have an inside guy? Is the cash is the cashier working with them? What can people look for now? Is there anything the average Joe can do? Or is it just out of curiosity, even if it's not actionable? Is there anything that, if it's going on right now, if, if the crime of the century is still going on, what is there to, to do? Or, or even just to look for out of intellectual curiosity? I know that's a big question, and neither of you have a crystal ball, but... Well, I, I, I think that it sort of sounds maybe a little trite, but I, I think if enough citizens understand what's going on, understand that when they turn on the television, when they turn on CNN, what's being represented, uh, the reality that's being represented is false. It's it, If people realize we are constantly being bombarded with propaganda, yeah. then it's it's at least the first step of the, of, of the citizenry becoming um, a more prudent and responsive citizenry um that's that's what we need to see I and mean, we need to get back to the old idea of this this the citizenry is is prudent and has some you know awareness of what's going on in, in order to detect when the state is being abusive yeah so i think what you're doing what dr and mccullough and i have endeavored to do with our book i think if people read the book and tell their friends about it i know that sounds self-serving because we're trying to sell it but they'll understand and then they can pass it on or they recommend it to their friends and with, with more understanding I, I i think there's at least a glimmer of hope yeah dr mccullough i agree uh, you know we're gonna have to close this out in the sure. next few minutes, Tommy. But I agree. I, I think it is about understanding. It's about, in a sense, an awakening. Uh, it's almost as if 20% of Americans from the very beginning knew something wasn't right. Yeah. They started to quickly interpret things uh, and they formed their own kind of sense of really what's going on. Uh, when I've talked to people in my circles, we, we had several characteristics. One is that we personally were never afraid of the virus. I can tell you, every treating doctor will tell you we weren't afraid of it. And we had one doctor in our treatment group who ended up on the ventilator himself because we took a lot of risks. But we, but we just weren't afraid. It's kind of like a, you know, a military infantryman. You can't be afraid if you're going to go on the ground and make a charge. None of us were afraid. The second criteria or the second characteristic is uh, we always knew the virus was treatable in some way. There was something we could do to reduce the intensity and duration of symptoms. Um, and something, I mean, that we would, we, we were not going to let the, our, our patients be slaughtered by the virus. And then the third uh, characteristic among all the treating doctors is that we were skeptical of these vaccines, as we should be, because we're good doctors. We're skeptical of any new drug on the market. We just wouldn't accept any drug with a blanket safe and effective, uh, you know, advertising banner put on it. We just say, well, listen, let's see the data. And since they've come out, our agencies have given us no report on safety. Uh, we've had a tremendously biased literature on efficacy, but we have, I think, more and more papers getting through saying that the efficacy has been waning over time. It, it was flawed to begin with in terms of uh, what was being reported. And, and obviously, people listening to this knows there are people who have taken one, two, three, four shots, still get the illness, still end up in the hospital. It should be obvious. I mean, Gavin Newsom, yeah. you know, he's taken four shots. He's got COVID. It should be obvious to him the vaccines don't work. Instead, what they're doing, and then Anderson Cooper did this recently and Bill Gates, they actually are, are thankful they've taken the vaccines, even though they failed. And Gates is, uh, you know, as a uh, as someone who's way out of his lane, he's not a doctor or anywhere close. He's actually advising Anderson Cooper to keep taking more shots after they failed. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's I think the one thing for me is uh, an extended family member is 63 of mine uh, tested positive for covid uh, last Friday and uh, as of yesterday is completely back. And used uh, used the the Fareed protocol, ivermectin, hydrox. 
if media would have it, right, she should be dead and everyone in that town should be dead. Nope. She's fine. To me, that's the most absurd thing. Um, I know we got to wrap this one up. Uh, Mr. Leak, I'll let you close this one out. Final words as your first time on my uh, misinformation podcast with the criminal Dr. McCullough and myself. Well, um, uh, I I think that what, what, how would I like to close this out? Um, I would like to close this out by also informing your listeners of our website, CourageBasedCovid.com. The other thing that I think I bring to bear on the subject that other authors have not, and we admire our fellow authors in this, is I bring a historic perspective. The history of medicine is very, very fascinating and very illuminating, and and there's nothing new under the sun. Um, these these issues of abuse of authority, of groupthink, of of um, long periods of erroneous thinking about a medical problem, corruption in the pharmaceutical industry, the obscuring of harmful harmful medications such as the opioid epidemic. We we, we contextualize this with a historic perspective that I think your readers will also find um, very interesting, very engaging. And then very last comment, uh, Dr. McCullough is monkeypox, one of Bill Gates creations or Klaus. I, I think everyone, uh, we're going to have another uh, a program on monkeypox, Tommy, but let me just say, I think everybody should be enormously skeptical. Yeah. Skepticism is healthy. It's intellectually healthy. And I can tell you right now, sitting where I sit, I am not afraid whatsoever. And I have a great degree of skepticism. Monkey monkeypox almost seems like it's intentional to wake people up. It almost seems like it's our operation by good guys. Like people are like, hold on. (laughs) What is it? It's like monkeypox. I swear it was a truck full of monkeys and the truck ran over a banana peel. And it went out flying, and then all the evil guys at Davos, and it's like, hold on. All right, I took the booster, but this is this is bullshit. Yeah. All right. All right, Dr. McCall, Mr. Leak, thank you so much. I'll put the website, your Twitters, the link to the book on Amazon, all that good stuff. Everybody go check it out. Support these uh, two wonderful Americans. Thank you both very much for coming on here. I will thank send you. you the episode when it will be up. It should be up and ready to go in like an hour. Okay, Tommy. Thank you thank so you. much.